welcome to another episode of our Neo Vanguards podcast. My name is Sasha and I'm here with Vero. Hi, today we're going to be placing some feminist artists in conversation. Guided by the themes of land, blood, and poetry that we find omnipresent in some feminist artwork, we will be looking specifically at Anna Mendieta and Cecilia Vicuña, two artists with different backgrounds, mediums, and voices, but who are connected through a similar kind of visceral sensibility. We will be discussing this topic through our main podcast theme of Aura. And as a quick recap, Walter Benjamin was one of the first people to coin the term Aura. And in his piece, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, written in 1935, he believed that even the most perfect reproduction of a work of art is lacking in one element, its presence in time and space, its unique existence at the place where it happens to be. He refers to its presence in time and space as aura. Great. Well, we do have a disclaimer, and we want to say that this episode was extremely hard to put together because there are enough feminist artists to write an entire library of books, so we had to get extremely concise. So we invite our listeners to look more into this topic. Yes, definitely. After all, women in the neo-vanguard movement made many social changes that have contributed to where we are today. We had many barriers to cross and boundaries to break. Linda Nachman has mentioned the following examples of barriers in her essay, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? that was published in 1971. Such boundaries as getting into an art school and when they finally were able to do that, the whole necessity of an art school was dying down. Furthermore, they didn't have access to nude models, even if the model was female at the time when it was considered the basis of art education. Not to mention the fact that they were shamed for not fulfilling the domestic roles that women were socialized to accomplish in their lifetime, like being a mom, a wife, a homemaker. Anything that was outside of that was considered selfish and frowned upon. Yeah, it was extremely difficult. But luckily, as we know, feminist sensibilities changed the art world completely, and we want to explore some examples of how these works of art came to life. We want to think, though, about Bell Hooks and her book, Feminism is for Everybody, which acknowledges the fact that you can't really talk about gender without first addressing class and race. To quote Bell Hooks, as long as women are using class or race power to dominate other women, feminist sisterhood cannot be fully realized. So today, as we place Cecilia Vicuña and Anna Mendieta in conversation, we are interested in some of the common themes and views that they were exploring. Both artists had strong ongoing commitment, commitments to themes ranging from politics of the land, the voice of nature, and the feminized body. And now that we got that down, I would like to give a brief background story on Anna Mendieta. Unfortunately, a lot of people know her not because of her work, but because of her tragic and untimely death. She was only 36 when she, quote-unquote, went out the window, as was said by her husband, Carl Andre. 
If you would like to learn more about Anna Mendieta's murder, there are a lot of resources online, but I would like to talk about other interesting things in her biography. So, Anna Mendieta was born in Havana, Cuba in 1948. Her family was distinguished within their community. Her grandfather was a physician, her grandmother was the president of the descendants of the veterans of the 1895 War of Independence, and her great-grandfather had a parade named after him for his bravery in the war. It's called the Parade to Puerto Rojas. At the age of 11, she and her older sister fled to the U.S. under the Peter Pan program. It was supposed to be temporary, but they didn't return back home. On top of that, it took a few years until her mother could come to the U.S. and decades for her father as he was detained in Cuba. So until Anna Mindieta got her own place, she had to bounce around orphanages after being in the refugee camp. I would also like to add a warning to those who might be sensitive to topics of sexual assault. As I will be describing earlier work by Anna Mendieta. Yeah, Anna Mendieta's life is fascinating. Uh, Cecilia Vicuña was actually born in the same year as Anna Mendieta. She was born in La Florida, Chile in 1948. Her parents were gardeners who worked out in the countryside and she spent a lot of time with them while they were working. Today, she's still an artist, an activist, and a poet. After leaving Chile for London in 1972, she worked in different parts of the world, eventually settling in New York in the 80s. For decades, she has been developing a varied and multidisciplinary body of work, built using words, images, environments, and a combination of languages and media techniques. It seems to me that she's constantly asking herself what kind of art might trigger a global uprising for political and ecological justice. Her answer seems to be that the utopian possibilities of collective action through practical political understanding, but also an enhanced feeling and sensuality. As a young artist in Chile, she's very involved with the resistance. She has been living in exile since Pinochet rose to power in the 70s. These Two artists had three themes in common. They both used blood in their work. They both evoked some kind of connection to the land and nature. And they had a very particular way of framing through writing or video documentation. So let's go on and start with the theme of blood. One of Cecilia's earliest paintings called Angel de la Menstruación or Angel of Menstruation is really connected to menstrual blood. The painting feels like a proclamation of being female. It seems to be marking out new ground and visual and poetic expression of the personal, the political, and, to, and their interconnections with a great deal of humor. The painting, which is a self-portrait, celebrates the return of menstruation, a taboo subject, a portrait of blood coming out of the vagina as beautiful clots. She is floating or flying on the air above the olive green, with the snake of sand that stretches like an extra limb across the canvas. She plays with a rest string that circles her body. In a quote, when she talked about this painting, she said, I am part of a cosmic weaving, 
nothing is separate from everything else because I use my blood for looking. Wow, that's very interesting. What do you think she means by that? Using her blood physically. Well, Cecilia is very interested in surrealism, and she was actually very influenced by the surrealist movement. Um, but I think her way of saying that she uses blood for looking is because she uses blood as a way of understanding the world, is understanding her own identity and her own history. Um, I think she thinks a lot about ancestral blood and the blood that connects this, that connects her to her indigenous roots. Mm, I see. Yeah. Um, Anna Dieta also used blood in her work, but Unlike Cecilia, it was primarily animal blood. And also, a quick side note, most of Mendieta's work is untitled, so the naming I will be using today is taken from the way she would catalog her pieces, unless I specify otherwise. So, blood. (laughs) (laughs) The chicken piece that was one of the first pieces that she actually filmed and It was a performance piece where she stood nude in front of her class and she cut open a white chicken, letting its blood drip over her body. In her work, blood is a powerful tool and Anna Mizieta said that, I will quote, I started immediately using blood. I guess because I think it's a very powerful, magical thing. I don't see it as a negative force. At the same time, she used blood in a number of pieces that were in response to rape and murder of her female fellow students of University of Iowa. In 1973, she invited her class to the apartment where she recreated a rape scene. She was covered in blood with her torso stretched on a table, wearing only shirt and her pants were pulled down to her ankles. She said that she didn't know if these pieces were the right thing to do in the moment, but what she felt she had to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, Anna's work is definitely very reactionary, and um, I think I'm always really impressed by that. Well, Cecilia uses blood again in a different way, but still very interesting. Um, Another piece where she uses menstrual blood is one of her kipus, the one titled Kipu Menstrual, La Sangre de los Glaciares, or The Blood of Glaciers. Um, The kipu is a 5,000-year-old record-keeping system from the Andes that consists of the complex knotting of quartz. Kipus are almost like a textile language. Vicuña's body of work consists of coming back to the kipu tradition on a huge scale. She has made around 50 or 60 kipus, all with different meanings and different titles. This installation in particular, however, consists of 28 streams of blood red wool that are hung from the gallery ceiling and reached to the floor. In 2006, Vicuña performed with this kipu in the Indian mountain El Plomo. In the video of the performance, Vicuña lays red lines of yarn 
which are symbolic to menstrual blood. Across the mountains, she brings everything together in a ritual that relates to a traditional Indian ceremony. This ritual was performed on a very important day. It was the day of the presidential election in Chile, in which we saw Michelle Bachelet elected as the first female president. And she was actually part of the Socialist Party, which Vicuña is part of. Vicuña sent a letter to Bachelet, and she poetically begged her to reject the Pascualama mining project, overseen by a Canadian company that would essentially destroy three glaciers in the region of gold extraction. In the letter, Vicuña equates the well-being of the environment with the well-being of the people. She asked Basach Bachelet to reconnect water and blood, just as she has attempted to do with her ritualized performance, in, un- in order to end the period of colonial shame. It's so amazing that she was bringing up themes of global warming in 2006. That seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, that's crazy. We could have done something by now. Yeah. <laughs> But... I think the the way she puts everything is just so beautiful. And actually, Anna Mendienta was also thinking of her connecting with nature, but of course for her it was a bit different. And I must mention that she actually coined the term earthworks, so that should say something. <laughs> um, one of her uh, most known works is her Silhouette series, but I think that for her, those were very therapeutic and even meditative compared to Cecilia's work. In her early series, she would use her own body to create an imprint of her silhouette in nature. She would either carve her silhouette into ground, lay in the water. She would like take pictures. That would be the only thing that she would present. She would play with nearly all natural elements. And in 1976, one of her beautiful works was she created a silhouette using gunpowder among other ingredients. And she put it up in the sky and she lit it on fire. These theories, I, they're like, I think, connect, I think they're connected to like the full circle, the birth, the death, the regeneration, since documentation in the form of photo or video would reach people mostly at the time when the actual sculpture is already disintegrated. This series also reflects on the relationship of human form and nature, in a way saying that humans are nature which could be seen as she starts to abstract the silhouette starting from around 1977. And she also starts using her knowledge of African diaspora and traditions, like the silhouette where she has an oblique silhouette with sticks stuck in the stomach area and water surrounding it. She is referring to a shamanist ritual, more specifically the African Minkisi or power, which includes figures which are typically pierced by nails to encourage supernatural interaction. 
but for her this piece wasn't a real ritual she used it to focus her power and her intention it was a healing process for her and as if she puts in her energy into the silhouette or she gets energy out of it but she also explains that these series are her way of reconnecting with her motherland Cuba that she had to leave at such a young age. In 1981, it came full circle when she was commissioned to do a piece in Cuba from which she brought a bit of Cuban soil back to the United States. Um, this piece is called La Venus Negra, which translates to the Black Venus, in which she what looks like carved a humanoid female silhouette into sand and possibly covered it with water. It's not incredibly clear because she chose to document it in black and white photography. This piece is in response to colonization as it represents Venus, a Roman goddess, to signify the resistance of indigenous women to Columbus. I'm always really impressed by the Silhouetta series. I think it's so monumental and just like so beautiful. Um, Cecilia's work is very connected to this idea of ephemerality and impermanence that Mendieta is exploring. By working with the land, Cecilia was also in search of connectivity. She was looking for, for reconnecting with her indigenous roots in the Andes. By learning about textile traditions like Ibus or Kisa, she was able to do this. In an interview, Cecilia said that she was making what people now call land art long before that language existed as a name or even a concept. Through the land, she explored her mixed or mestiza identity. She explores this culture of hybridity and being colonized, but somehow still feeling pure, connected and intact. Like Anna Mendieta, she is working and thinking in a space of ephemerality and impermanence. Cecilia has written a lot about this idea that she calls arte precario, or precarious art. Since she was very young, she started working with small pieces of what she called basuritas, or little pieces of trash or debris that she found on beach walks or nature walks. She would place them together in very intuitive and sculptural forms that were in conversation with the landscape. Then she would let the sea or the breeze dissolve the pieces. She says that the poetry and the art are in this space of ephemerality, fragility, and conversation. To quote Cecilia, she says, Awareness of a stick leads to awareness of a tree then to land and the people who occupy it, to the fragility of entire cultures. In her book, Arte Precario, which is kind of a manifesto of her practice and her ways of making, she says, precarious means prayer, uncertain, exposed to hazards, insecure. Prayer is change, the dangerous instant of transmutation. Desire is the offering. The body is only a metaphor. To respond is to offer again. She has written numerous times that she sees words of vehicles. She sees them as empty vessels that sometimes appear and then disappear and then reconfigure themselves. 
they are entangled, they move, they shift in a lot of different directions. So when you read about quantum physics, the universe is considered information, which means that every form of energy is a form of communication or messages. Cecilia thinks that, of course, an artist becomes adept at reading these kinds of messages, which then become a material or matter, which is everything that is around us. For her, her inspiration is the attitude and the feeling that you are here to sense, feel, shift, relate, and dance with art. Art is very tricky. It's like meditation, she says. That's so beautiful. I find it interesting how both Mendieta and Cecilia, I bet a lot of other people find nature as a source of spirituality and like self-reflection and healing. Also, one of Anna Mendieta's pieces that I think is very interesting and I personally really like is the glass on body imprints. It's basically these six homogenic color prints of her pressing parts of her new body to a piece of glass. And it actually brings me back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, Rosinda Nauklin's essay, uh, Why Have There Been No Great Female Artists? When she talks about the male gaze and how women were only ever allowed to participate in live drawings as nude models, therefore becoming the object of the male artist's art piece. I think that Mindieta really reclaims her female body and form. The female form is no longer objectified when I have a male beholder. Now she's the artist. I think that's the beauty of this piece. For sure. I mean, Cecilia was doing kind of like a similar work in the 70s. Uh, she made a piece titled Tight Face, Life and Dead, where she covers her entire face with a crochet net. I think just like Anna, she's playing with this facial contortion and this idea of hiding her identity or perhaps even changing it or reclaiming it from the male gaze. This piece also makes me think about Cecilia's poetry a lot, um, in which she invokes a lot of like erotic elements of femininity and what it means to be in a feminine body. In fact, her book, Sabor a Mi, which translates to my flavor of me was censored in Chile and it is extremely difficult to obtain even today. Cecilia thinks about eroticism and the feminine body a lot still today. In one of her most recent collective performances called Clit Nest, um, she says that the clit is the only organ that humanity has that exists exclusively for joy. The clit is that by which the body is guided, an invitation towards plentitude and joy. This statement actually connects a lot to her own political views. After Allende's dead in the 70s and Pinochet's rise to power, she founded Tribuno as one of her first actions. It became a small group of young artists and writers who dedicated their work to resistance, liberation, and collective joy. I think it's so interesting how Cecilia's work is so political and so charged, but she still brings this sense of joy and this like seeking for joy. And she sort of like uses joy as a resistance. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, I really like that about her and the way she talked is so beautifully poetic. And I think the joyful tone that is present in her work is 
kind of opposite actually to Mindieta's pieces, where she is a lot more confrontational and intuitive and even reactional. Like most of her pieces, if not all, are very personal and they're a response to something that's happening in the world or around her. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm always saw in awe when I learn something new about Mendieta. The way she reacts to things is like she was constantly seeking for truth. And this truth didn't necessarily exist in painting or in synthetic materials. All she needed, all she needed to make art was her body, blood, and the land. And I think this truth seeking and impermanence is what really speaks to me the most. Cecilia and Mendieta both approached the earth body with such stillness and care. And this eternal yearning for reconnection via roots, via soil, and via the universe is what makes them two so special in conversation. What do you think, Sasha? We could talk about them all day long. I know. There are so many other artists as well. I would just really encourage everyone to really research the female artists of 70s, 80s, 60s. I feel like there are so many talents that are missed, not looked at. Yeah. <laughs> not giving Overlooked. credit. What's the right word? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Check out all the other episodes and we wish you a very great day.